we go to the scripture this morning, Sharon's going to be reading two. The first one are, are fam a familiar verse out of Isaiah that takes us back to Jesus. And notice the last word in the scripture that she reads, and I'm going to ask you what it means. And then the next one are those beautiful kind of 14 verses out of the beginning of the Gospel of John that describe, at least for John, who this figure was and potentially is. So listen for those things as, as Karen reads. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son, and you shall name him Emmanuel. The reading from John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of the people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God who were born not of blood or of the will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. Holy wisdom, holy word. Last Wednesday at... In my class, we talked about a couple of things around some of the legends that happen in the Bible. One example was, you remember, you know, at Christmas time, we talk about the wise men, and it wasn't but 100 or 200 or 300 or 500 years later that all of a sudden the wise men have names. There are no names in the scriptures, but somehow we needed to create that legend around the wise men, and so we named them and made sure that there were three. Otherwise, the song wouldn't make any sense. But in fact, all we know is that there are three gifts. We have no idea how many wise men there were. In class, we also be talked about this because in 2 Timothy, as we're studying that, that one of Paul's letters, there are two names that come up of the priests that challenged Moses back in the Exodus story. But if you look back in Scripture, there is nothing that says that those two priests have names. And so... It is what we do. We, we try and create things that make us more comfortable, and for whatever reason, naming those two priests who challenged Moses was something that created, I guess, a little more comfort for those who, who wrote that, uh, that story later on in history. To a great extent, I think we've done the same thing with Jesus. 
I mean, if you look at the pictures that are kind of screaming, there's the perfect example. I mean, look at those teeth. Really? You know, for us, I, I think if you look at some of the pictures that we've seen and even grown up with around Jesus, he, he had to have been somewhere about, I mean, here's, again, perfect example, about 6'2", probably somewhere around 230 pounds, broad shoulders, perfect teeth, great hair. I mean, my Lord, great hair, always clean and fresh, uh, perfect nose, eyes are somewhat faded, maybe light brown, and yet, in reality, that's just what that is, is legend. When in fact, if we think about it, Jesus was probably about five foot three, probably weighed in at 130, maybe 140 pounds. His hair was probably somewhat disheveled and maybe a little greasy probably shoulder length, and he probably had a beard. His hands were no doubt gnarled and calloused because of the work that he did. And he wasn't just a carpenter, by the way. The more accurate term is builder. And so he worked with wood, yes, but he also worked with stone and anything else and probably even iron. His hands had to be mighty and strong, and no doubt, as any carpenter will tell you, gnarled, calloused. His skin, dark, dark olive brown. He was outdoors all the time with lines that were creased. And as much as I like Max von Sato, who is this is, I just am not sure that that's what Jesus looked like. What is it about us that makes us desire to have this figure look like some GQ model? And I think it's that somehow we find deep comfort in the appearance. But I have to tell you, for me, it's not about appearance at all. And even the prophets, even the prophets talked about the fact that the one who was to come would have no countenance that would draw us to him. In other words, his appearance would not automatically make us want to follow. You know, I'm, I'm watching now all the trailers around the, the big m movie and, and stuff, the miniseries that's coming on Easter Sunday, you know, the Bible AD, and even that Jesus figure has perfect hair and perfect eyes, and perfect facial features. Because I'm not sure that the greasy-haired, five-foot-three, somewhat gnarled, olive-skinned, maybe a little unusual nose, is what we want to portray on television. But what if that doesn't matter at all? What if the appearance doesn't matter at all? <clears throat> What we do know is that this figure has a history and that the history was written about by those who are not followers of his. People like the Roman and Jew Jewish historian Josephus wrote of Jesus and there were other historians who wrote of this man. And the fact that every single major religion honors him as one of the great teachers of all time. Friends, 
we need to start there if we understand Jesus, particularly here in the Northwest. First and foremost, he has to be real. He has to be real if we're to come to terms with being Christian and particularly come to terms with his teachings and his expectations of us. From there, we have a number of decisions to make. Let me just read you some of these questions and see what you think about those. Maybe first is the scripture that we heard. What is it that we really believe? What's most important? Is it that he was born of a young girl or a virgin? Is it that he was resurrected on the third day after his horrific death, which, by the way, is also a part of written history? Is it he that he was the son of the great mystery that is God? Is it that he lives today and can change hearts and lives? Well, let's go back and examine some of the things, particularly even scripturally, about this figure. I want to begin with Paul's letter to the Colossians. Colossians 1.15 says, Jesus was the image of the invisible God. Jesus was the image in the flesh of the invisible God. Jesus could either be seen as one so completely filled with his relationship with this creator as to be undeniably a part of God. Or, like we heard, the the Gospel of John, Jesus was God, or God's ever-creating Word in the flesh, walking among us. Jesus was God on earth. Jesus was, without question, the most complete, most accurate example of God of anyone that ever walked the earth. But if it's hard for you to get there, Let me go back a step and look at a couple other things about this figure. First, Jesus was one of the world's greatest reformers. He sought to create, if you remember his language, sought to create a different kind of kingdom, a kingdom that was almost diametrically opposed to the kingdom of Rome and its violence and its warlike figures, its intensity and everything that it was, even its oppression. Or you compare that to the kingdom of Israel at that time, most of whose leaders were there taking advantage of the poor for their own benefit. And Jesus sought to create and set it a different kind of kingdom. His passion for the reforms centered on what he believed the original laws were intended to say. And in the midst of it, don't forget, friends. Don't forget that the mild-mannered, almost emaciated Jesus that I grew up with in the 50s isn't what's described very often in the Scriptures. The Jesus that's described in the Scriptures does a number of things. One is, at the end, at least for three of the Gospels, in the beginning in the Gospel of John, literally walks into the temple courtyard, into the temple and confronts those with something like this. To drive out those who would abuse the poor, who changed the law so much 
that they would make money off of those who sought to do what was correct and sacrifice to God? Or how about the way that he confronted the leaders of that time, the leaders of his own people? And in Matthew, we have the seven woes, and they are not pretty at all. Woe to you, Pharisees and scribes. And he even calls them sons of snakes. You vipers brood. Repeating the words that we heard from John the Baptist before. He is one of the great reformers of all time, but it doesn't stop there. He sought to clean out the corruption. He took on the abuse of women and children. He took on governmental abuses. In so many ways, I see this Jesus is not just taking on our sin, which so many say that this Jesus really is all about taking on our sin as a sacrifice for us. When in fact, what he was doing in that time was taking on the overt sins of the world and seeking to transform and save those of that time from that sin as well. And that's the Jesus we all too often forget. Because that is also the Jesus that we seek to follow. But he doesn't stop there either. For those that had little or nothing, he became the Savior. Listen to this list. He healed them. He fed them. He gave them hope. He gave them a different understanding of the law. He gave them something in which to believe and something to follow. He gave them answers. He gave them forgiveness. He gave them an interpretation of God that they could understand and accept. A God who loved them. He cleansed them. He loved them. He guided them and taught them. And for those that understood even the rich that understood, even their lives would be forever changed as they shared what they had so that all might have what they needed. He very literally saw himself as a servant of all and in so doing, in so doing, think about this. He changed the culture of the world forever. 2,000 years ago, this man walked the planet. And we still are defined by that culture that he brought to this place for us and for the beauty and balance and love of God and those who were created by God. For us as his followers, he was and is and must be our role model. For he was crystal clear on what that meant. And let me just read you a few scriptures about that. From the Gospel of John, he said this, If then your Lord and teacher have washed your feet, you also ought to serve each other and wash each other's feet. For I have given you an example. Now, be a servant to all. Or how about this? They will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And he said, if you love me, keep fresh and practice the things you've seen and heard my commandments. And he says, 
Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. I give you this peace. And almost then you can say, therefore, become peacemakers. And then Paul writes of this in Ephesians and states, be imitators of God and God's Son, Jesus the Christ. Be imitators of God as dear children and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself up for us. Or in 1 Peter, it's written, for to this you were called because Christ gave us an example that you should follow in his steps. Or how about 1 John 2, 3 through 6? Now by this we know that we are followers of him if we keep his commandments. By this we know that we are in Him and He is in us. This next sentence I wrote and rewrote and rewrote, but I think you'll get the gist of it. Absolutely believe there is not a person alive who if they would but follow His teachings and example couldn't change the world into a better place by living these things out every single day. It's as organic as it gets. It's a natural part of who we are and what we are. It's as natural as it gets to want to live this way. And thank God we have someone who has been an example for us to follow. Let me close with this, just so you know where I am on all of this. I believe Christ can fill us today. I believe Jesus can guide us. I believe that God lived through Him and that power can live through us and is available to us to live through us every day. Jesus Christ is the transformation toward peace that happens in the lives of those who will take the chance but to believe. Ask Him in. Accept His grace. See Him as God's most perfect example of what God is, how God works, even what God wants for each one of us. The power of all of this is deeply mysterious. And yet, and yet, it continually seeks to engage us, offer us peace, heal us, fill us, and empowers us to live as Jesus lived. And then, as that happens within ourselves, it gives us the mandate that we then offer that to others. That peace, that hope, that food, that clothing. It is in that equation that all of this works. Are we Christian? If the answer is yes, then we are without question followers of Jesus Christ. It is how we are to be defined, even in the Northwest. Friends, I remember in 1975, I was driving down the road down in Olympia. It was a time of building log homes, and I was struggling deeply, deeply struggling with where I was headed or anything about God. And there was a presence that came into that car that was unmistakable and, and, and so powerful that I had to pull the car over and stop 
and feel that presence. And it was a sense of love that I had never, ever experienced before. A, a, a sense of direction, a sense of peace that was overwhelming. And I remember sitting behind that steering wheel and just weeping for it. And I've shared with you that story of this pastor in Silverdale who invited me over and had me kneel before him. And he began to pray. And there was a over, an overwhelming feeling of peace that came because of that. And he was able to literally see in my soul as he claimed the name of Jesus Christ for me and was able to pull those things out that he knew were there blocking that sense of Christ's presence. And there was a filling that happened at that point that was unmistakable. This is real, friends. This is real. And it is available. But it takes courage to ask it to enter into us. And I challenge you, particularly in this time of Lent, but Lent has nothing to do with this, that you ask Christ into your life. Be transformed by that power. He's here. He's with us. He is your brother and walks with you in all things. Amen. Amen.